to Lead Generation Strategies for B2B Tech Companies, a podcast by Brightvision. Here, you will learn how to generate great leads from the most experienced B2B sales and marketing people. Your host today, and always, is Jakob Levenbrand, CEO at Brightvision. Let's get started. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the Legion podcast. My name is Jacob Löwenbrand, and I'm the Managing Director of Bright Vision. Today, I have the privilege to have uh, Dana Di Tommaso with us here today. Dana is uh, president and partner of Kickpoint, an Edmonton-based digital marketing agency, and uh, works with a lot of things around digital marketing, both with clients, but also especially as a sought-after speaker and thought leader. And we are going to discuss the topic, digital marketing success in 2020. So hello, Dana, and welcome to the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so great to have you again. Before we start, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your marketing journey and also how and why you started up Kickpoint, the agency you're running today? Yeah, so I um, actually have a university degree in geography, which I clearly don't use in my day-to-day life as a marketer. Um, When I graduated school, there weren't a lot of jobs in the environmental remediation field that I originally was going to get into. So I actually ended up working at a software company. And then from there, I really enjoyed web development, uh, started freelancing as a web developer uh, on the side back in 2000. And my very first client, when I launched her website, she said to me, why am I not on Google yet? And I said, I will get back to you. And then I found that I actually really enjoyed the world of SEO. And so this is actually my 20th year working in search engine optimization. Um, And then from there, obviously, the world of SEO back in 2000, a little bit different than the world of SEO in 2020. So it has definitely changed a lot over the last 20 years. Um, Yeah, and for Kickpoint itself, I actually moved to Edmonton in 2010. Um, And at the time I was freelancing, I had closed my agency back in Hamilton, which is where I grew up. And uh, I met my business partner and we started Kickpoint in 2012 and it's been, uh, it's been great since then. Yeah. Interesting. And uh, what a story. So, but you don't only work with Edmonton clients. I know you have clients all over the globe, more or less. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I would say um, probably about maybe half of our clients are Canadian based um, and then the rest are US, Australia, New Zealand. Yeah, that's great. And I must say also, we had a great webinar together a few years back, and we got a lot of good and uh, very positive feedback on that. And uh, that's why we thought we must ask Dana to join us for this podcast now. So yeah, looking forward to today's uh, discussion here, since we know you have so much insights into trends and what's going on and really have the finger on the pulse for digital marketing trends in 2020. So let's dive into it. So let's start with uh, uh, SEO, your, one of your specialties and digital advertising uh, in general um, that we do see have evolved a lot as you just were into. What would you say are the biggest trends in the l- latest year and what do you see coming in this area for 2020? <clears throat> if you just yeah. summarize what you see and what you're working on right now. 
I would say for sure what's been a concern in the SEO community specifically is the rise of snippets, uh, answer boxes, et cetera, and how that is reducing the amount of organic traffic that people get. Um, I am of the opinion that answer boxes are actually a good branding opportunity. And I think it forces marketers to focus a little bit better on the kinds of keywords that they want to rank for. And there was a great example, actually, that Randfish can tweeted out that was, uh, you know, marble versus quartz for a countertop hmm. and saying, you know, it's bad that a company doesn't have the ability to rank well and that there's an answer box coming up. But in reality, if you think about the intent of a search of somebody searching for marble versus quartz, they're really in that early information gathering phase. They're probably not ready to buy. And I think a lot of marketers, when they think about things like driving people to their website, they're really thinking about bottom of the funnel. And I think that this is forcing people to think higher up on the funnel and really giving away more information and making sure that they're very focused on the type of information that they're going away, they're giving away so that they have a more opportunity to rank for those terms. And then on the paid side of things, I think that there's certainly, um, and Marie Haynes, uh, another great SEO just had, fantastic thread where she asked a bunch of her non-SEO friends to tell her what they thought the ads were on Google search. And most of them thought that things like snippet boxes and FAQ sections were actually ads, which clearly they're not. So that was also really interesting that people were saying, well, I'm not going to click on that. That's an ad when in reality it's schema markup on Google search results. So it also makes us wonder, you know, what is Google up to lately if they they obviously have all this data in their hands. Do they know that the regular consumer may think that those uh, non-paid search results are actually paid search results and they're skipping past it? But at the same time, everything that Google's done over the past few years has significantly driven up click-through rate on paid ads. So I think that there's a real change happening in how people engage with search results. And at the same time as well, a trend that's happened over the last few years has been the rise of mobile first. And I think still as marketers, you know, I'm sitting in front of a desktop computer right now. I'm sure you're sitting in front of a laptop or a desktop computer. Mm. Most marketers spend most of their day working on a desktop computer, probably a nice Mac with a great big screen. You know, right now I'm looking at two different monitors hooked up to my Windows computer. And I think that that's something that we really need to get away from and consider that someone, a consumer, a customer of your site may never actually look at your site on a desktop device even in the B2B world. And I think that's something too that people really need to think hard about um, and all the different ways and times and means in which people are gonna to wanna to engage with you. And it doesn't mean someone sitting behind a desk in their well-lit office on a desktop computer with a broadband connection. You know, It may mean someone on their cell phone in an airport trying desperately to download a white paper before they get on a flight. You know, how are the ways in which people are engaging with you? And I think marketers really need to stop the desktop first usage and really think about their own customers and clients and, and how they engage with the internet. And that is probably mobile first. Yeah, that's so interesting. And there's a lot of trends you <clears throat> brought up there. Uh, let's stay with mobile first a little bit there. Um, we also see a big change in, in the work environment uh, with many companies have more or less remote workforces today or at least hybrid models and so on. So I definitely think you're totally right there and, uh, and so on. But uh, do you actually see any, do you think companies more are trying or do we actually see mobile first becoming a reality today? I think it depends on a company by company basis. And I think this is where you have to go to your analytics, which is obviously one of my 
uh, favorite things to talk about is analytics. But I think you have to go to your analytics and see how people are engaging with you and then respect that. And some clients, for example, one of our clients is very much not mobile first. They are, I think, maybe 10% mobile, 90% desktop, which is obviously very rare these days. And they sell uh, large uh, industrial manufacturing products. So the people coming to their website are engineers who are downloading spec sheets uh, that they're going to put into AutoCAD and check out their products. That is very much a desktop audience, very rare that it's mobile. Great, we know that. And then you have the other spectrum of things where we have, for example, a company that builds houses and they have an 80% mobile audience. We think that probably the 20% of desktop are people at their work who aren't excluded from their own Google Analytics as opposed to their actual consumers. It's very rare that people are going on their website and desktop, but yet when they originally were approaching their design, they're really thinking desktop first. And so that definitely has to be something that you need to look at your analytics and then present it and say, look, you know, half the people who come to our website are using a mobile device, for example half of the work that we do when we're looking at our site and we're thinking about how people are using it has to be on mobile as well. And really stepping away from that desktop first mindset and point of view and thinking about it from a mobile first mindset. Yeah, very, very true. And uh, I think uh, you're totally right that we should use our Google Analytics in order to see what kind of visitors we have and so on. What, what do you think are the most important things to focus on when you want to measure for a B2B company your traffic and, and uh, uh, lead gen in analytics? Yeah, I think for B2B companies in particular, I think that they need to remember that um, a lot of people are scared off by the B2B sales process. They don't want to download a product or a white paper and then have a salesperson call them five minutes afterwards to try to sell them something, which is what some companies do. Yeah. Um, and a lot of companies too, particularly those are very large, talking about, you know, top thousand companies in the world type organizations are not going to use their work email to download your tools. They are going to use a Gmail account or a Hotmail account or some sort of personal account with a fake name because they don't want you getting all excited. Oh, look, you know, it's, you know, Uber who's downloaded this. I have to call them immediately. I'm very excited about this. Like, first off, calm down. <laughs> we'll get in touch with you when they're ready. Yeah. And second of all, don't stop people from downloading your stuff if they have a non at their company name address. You don't know who these people are. And I think this is where analytics becomes increasingly more important because you need to be able to understand these people over time. And studies have shown, particularly when it comes to things like the software space, you know, SaaS businesses, that people will engage with your content from anywhere for two years to six months, so sometimes as little as 90 days before they actually contact you for a demo or additional information as themselves as an organization. We know that B2B sales are not one person in an office making a call. There's usually several people involved in multiple levels of approvals and you know the RFP process and everything else. So you can't just say, you are one person, you are coming to the site, you have downloaded this, therefore you are now at step two in the funnel. Right? And I think this is where the funnel kind of needs to get tossed out in that regard. There's no, there's no neat path from A to B to money anymore. Um, and, you, and if you force people to go through that funnel process, people are gonna get frustrated and leave. There's more choice than ever before, and people are gonna go with a company that they feel respects them and their time and what they're interested in, as opposed to someone who says, well, I could give you that, but you're gonna to have to tell me a whole bunch of different things, including your mailing address for really no good reason. You can figure that out later. Mm -hmm. You know, Just 
get the minimum that you need for people to be able to give people what they need in order to trust you as an organization. And I think that's where that trust factor really comes in and is very important. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Interesting and good reflections there. <laughs> that is, you're describing, I think, 90% of all the B2B digital lead gen processes there. And mm -hmm. I, I definitely think we will see more creative stuff coming in 2020 um, in order to capture leads and, and, you know, to engage prospects in a, in a respectful manner online as well. Yeah, um, and I think, I think a lot of companies have the tools that they need already to do this, right? And I think that this is where instead of, especially if you're thinking about content marketing in 2020, don't think about, you know, I'm going to keep publishing three blog posts a week or whatever your crazy <laughs> blog posting schedule has been. Mm -hmm. Really take what you have. A lot of companies at this point have, you know, all the audits that we've done lately of any B2B companies. People have hundreds and hundreds of posts over years, especially if they've been around for a while. They mm -hmm. probably have been blogging for five to 10 years at this point. So if you blog once a week for five years, you've got a lot of posts hanging around they're not all going to be gems. And I think this is where you can go back and, and get rid of bad stuff and update things and really focus on updating and combining and removing and repurposing instead of publishing brand new content. You probably have everything you need in terms of raw materials. They just aren't performing the way that they should. So instead of starting from scratch, go back in your archives, figure out what's good, make it better, republish it for 2020. Yeah. That's interesting. Just want to stay a little bit on the advertising side there as well. We have seen LinkedIn rising up to giant within B2B digital advertising and, and being a very strong platform to show your messages and publish your content and so on. Mm -hmm. And we have also seen the cost per click and cost per impressions skyrocket on the LinkedIn platform last year. Do you think that is a trend that will continue or do you see anything else coming that could rival LinkedIn's monopoly more or less today? I think that LinkedIn was really nice about three years ago when people kind of forgot that you could advertise on LinkedIn. It's definitely expensive now. You have to make sure that you're not blowing your cash. And I think this is where if you are going to do LinkedIn advertising now, make sure you're starting with a very, very small audience and a long time frame because it's going to take a while for you to get the impressions of that audience to decide if it's working or not. Don't go out there with a audience of, you know, half a million people and then test because it's going to be a really expensive test and you'd be better off personally inviting people out to dinner instead um, when it comes <laughs> to that click-through rate, honestly. It's about the same, right? If you think about it for a nice dinner out versus the amount of money you're probably spending per acquisition off of LinkedIn, it might be really similar. Mm -hmm. So I think that this is where you have to think very strongly about what do you need to do on LinkedIn? And then also consider maybe LinkedIn isn't actually the channel for you, particularly if you're in a crowded field, see what your competitors are up to. If they are extensively already advertising on LinkedIn, if they've already built those communities, it might be best to say, you know what, this is going to be such a huge investment. We don't know if it's our worth our time. And I think in general, that's just a good way to approach social media is think about it in terms of, have we done everything else that we possibly can do? Or are we looking at this as the new shiny, exciting thing that we have to jump on? Um, and particularly at this point, when it comes to LinkedIn, I'm not going to say that the LinkedIn ship has sailed. I think that there's still opportunities out there depending upon what niche you're in. But I think you really have to do your research and see if your competitors are already 
capitalizing on LinkedIn before you decide to horn in on that platform. Um, and really also consider, you know, is your audience actually using LinkedIn? Are they there? And the great thing about LinkedIn is it's not that expensive to get a paid uh, account. I have a paid LinkedIn account, so you can do lots and lots of different types of searches. Mm -hmm. And you know the job titles of the people who are purchasing your products to a job title search. Take a look. Are they actually, and this is a bit of a manual process. There's no real way to, I mean, there are tools out there that will scrape LinkedIn. LinkedIn is cracking down them from what I understand. Um, but as a manual process, click on some of the people's um, profiles, see if they're actually on LinkedIn. Are they commenting? Are they posting? Are they liking what people have to say? What groups do they belong to? And realistically, that's where you can develop a process and say, okay, so we know, for example, that people who have this particular job title are very engaged on LinkedIn. And this other audience with this different job title, who is also an important audience for us, is really not there from what we've seen. So we're going to target these people in this different way for example, and really start to slice down your overall um, target audience and figure out where these people are. It isn't just a you know monolith of, okay, our audience is here and this is where we're spending all of our dollars. I think we have the sophistication and the research tools now to slice it down a little bit more. And I think that uh, the best strategies are the ones that pay attention to the individual people as opposed to treating everyone the same. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good idea. And I think, yeah, you're so right there about uh, picking your avenues to go on. W one follow-up question on that. What do you think is the best bang for the buck from an advertising, paid advertising perspective today? Is it social or is it AdWords or is it any other platform you see today as, you know, where you actually get a good deal for the dollar? I think um, I think Google Ads is probably still the best deal for your dollar when it comes to actual click-through costs. But I think that uh, you need to make sure that you've got really solid landing pages. I think giving people a landing page where you've got one paragraph of text and a nice stock photo, some happy people sitting around a computer, and then some fields to download something and that's it. You can't click out, you can't find out more about the company, That's that's gone now. And I think that you need to accept that people want to engage with you in the ways that they want to engage with you and giving over their information because they clicked on an ad, which to them means that they've given over very little and like you've given them very little information at this point, but yet you're asking for a lot. I think that we need to do better, do better give and take because your competitors are. And if you think about the companies that are being really successful, you know, look at the kind of in-depth, great content they're putting out. Um, one company actually that I've seen recently that I actually ended up buying because their content was so good is a company called Servicate, which does uh, on-site uh, website surveys. Mm -hmm. And I did tons of Googling of different survey companies and their content kept coming up again and again and again. And I thought, well, if they've this good of a content marketing program, I should check it out, you know, reward them for their good mm -hmm. SEO and their good content marketing. And the product is fantastic and their support is great. and Their onboarding process is great, but clearly whoever's responsible for marketing there has really thought about how to put all these different pieces together. They have a solid content marketing plan. They're not publishing every single day. The onboarding has just the right touch of, we need some information from you, but then we're going to give you a bunch of information. And I think this is where companies really need to think about it in terms of not, well, I need to get all this. And then, you know, you're lucky to be working with me. That's not how you can approach this. You know, it has to be the other way around where you are grateful that the companies are giving, that people are giving you their information. Um, and I think that that the land of the really quick landing page, I think that's done. Mm. 
Uh, okay, yeah, interesting. So what do you think is the right timing in the buyer's journey from a content uh, strategy perspective to ask for a contact detail or an email address or something like that? Yeah, something that we've seen a lot of success with are um, the concept of pillar pages, or I think they're always called hub pages. I think HubSpot came up with uh, pillar pages as a term. And that's where you have a really long, in-depth piece of content. It's extremely long in the page, and then people can download a PDF of it if they want, for example. And that's a good time to get someone's email address. And then once you have their email, there's a lot of good um, uh, enrichment services out there. For example, Full Contact is one where you can start to get more information from someone based on that email address. And they might give you a personal email. That's okay. You now have that email address. I mean, don't start adding them to your three times a day mailing list. You know, treat it with respect. But at the same time, they have engaged with you. They may engage with you again. And I think that's where you really need to think about, you know, where are all the different touch points that someone could engage with you? Are you measuring and tracking those touch points? And are you able to be able to track someone throughout the entire journey that they take with you? Um, and that's one of the most important things, I think, is having that solid analytic strategy in there and make sure you're working with things like, your business uh, intelligence teams to make sure that you've got the information that you know you need to know and not just, you know, here's our silo of Google Analytics and here's our silo of purchasing, but trying to bring those two things together, for example. Yeah. That brings us a little bit to, to tools. And I know you're expert on tool stacks for marketing and, <laughs> and you're a big fan of analytics. But what else do you see as a necessary or a good tool stack to use as a digital marketeer in 2020? What else should we invest in this year? Yeah, I think good reporting is becoming more and more important, particularly because you have all this data that's accessible. I think something that a lot of people struggle with is proving their value. And this is something that I've talked about for years, actually. I think I have a MozCon talk from 2015. 13 or 2015 it's a while ago now mm -hmm. i think it's 2015 right talking about it the talk is actually called prove your value it's on youtube if you want to google it um and i talk about how difficult it is for marketers to prove that they are actually doing something and those principles absolutely still apply the the methodology i go through in that presentation is one that we still use now um, and we have a couple posts on our site where we updated a little bit for what we're doing now in terms of goal setting. But the biggest thing is really taking those big goals and trying to make them measurable, but then breaking it down into individual elements. And um, this is where actually sales philosophy can really come in. So one of the great things that I read about sales, and I, I think it might have been on the pipe drive blog, which is a sales tool. Um, Instead of thinking about things like, I need to hit $10 million in sales this year, think about how many phone calls you need to make, successful or not, in order to get to that $10 million in sales. And I think this is where marketers can really take that goal, break it down into those KPIs, KPIs into tactics, tactics into metrics. And then metrics are what you measure, knowing that if you hit a certain number of metrics, you should hit your goal. Because metrics are things you have control over. Goals aren't necessarily things that you do have control over. And so by focusing your analytics and your reporting around the individual items which you know add up to success, you'll have a lot easier time proving that you are bringing value to the organization instead of saying, well, we need to hit $10 million in sales, we're at $6 million now, great. That doesn't really help people make a decision to say, are you actually doing a good job? Are you bringing the value that you need to bring to the organization? Mm. Interesting. So reporting, 
is is one thing to invest in this year then <laughs> yeah i think so and i think there's some great reporting tools out there obviously mm-hmm. i love google data studio i'm biased that i talk about it a lot but really it's not the t- reporting tool it's how you approach the building of the reports itself that makes a difference so getting away one of the things that i always advise people is getting away from saying things like if i tell you to build a report usually people will start with you know visits by channel for example or sessions by channel And I think instead, think about, you know, how do you, what's the question you're asking of this data? And instead of saying, here are sessions by channel, phrase it, you know, how do people get to our website via different marketing channels? And really by asking a question, instead of making a statement about the data, you really open yourself up to answering the, making, you know, really a story, an answer out of the data, um, you're answering that question. And if you're not answering that question with the chart you've put together, then obviously it's not the right chart and you can go back and think about a different way to present that information. Especially because when, for example, someone on the executive level is looking at that report, they're asking questions of the data. So if you approach it as a question to start with, you're really helping yourself make better reports at the end of this. Yeah, interesting. <clears throat> so if I, we're talking about trends here uh, in order to achieve digital success in 2020. If I turn the question around and say, what mistakes should you as a digital marketeer this year avoid or focus on to work with, to uh, <laughs> not to screw up? <laughs> any, any tips and tricks there? Yeah, I think don't focus on things that look like new and fun and shiny. Like people keep getting distracted by voice search. Voice search is still kind of a toy that people play with. I don't see anyone saying, pick a CRM software for me via their you know, Google device, right? Like that's not happening, particularly in the B2B world. And I think this is where, yeah, voice search is interesting. But if your website is fundamentally broken and Google can't find it and is struggling with indexing it and you have poor rankings, maybe go back to the fundamentals first. And honestly, I think that's one of the biggest things. Like, obviously, no one comes and works with an agency because things are going great, right? No one's like, things are awesome. I'm going to spend some money needlessly. Of course, they don't do that. But I find that a lot of people who do come to us have fundamental website issues from a technical perspective. And a lot of it is the same kind of technical audits that we've done for years, where we're pointing out issues and fixing things that needs to be fixed and and really making your sites hum, particularly when it comes to speed. Uh, And I think speed is one thing for sure that's become more and more important over the years. But if you don't go back to those fundamentals and make sure that your website and your different landing pages and everything else are performing for you you know don't spend money on linkedin ads when your website takes 20 seconds to load you know that is Mm -hmm. just taking a pile of money and setting it on fire so really start with those fundamentals and make sure that you have a solid web presence that's performing well from a technical perspective it loads fast it loads well on desktop and mobile devices and then you can start to think about how you can get more people coming to your site and contacting you that's so true that's so true. I can agree. Also, uh, uh, another uh, thing uh, I see myself as a trend for this year is probably, I think we will probably have a higher emphasis on creativity and new things taking to the digital uh, channels that we might have uh, done creatively in, uh, in other uh, offline areas but maybe to, to get a very little bit from the cookie cutter campaigns that we see so much of uh, 
online. What do you think about that? Will we see a reborn creativity movement in, in digital advertising and, and content marketing? Or do you think it will not <laughs> materialize? <laughs> I think that there's always room for creativity, but I think, um, but I think too, you want to make sure that you're not getting too um, self-involved and thinking about what's fun, cool from your perspective, but really thinking about like, what does your audience actually want from you? And if you sit down and ask your customers, sometimes they just want, for example, support answers, or sometimes they just want the basics covered. And so make sure that creativity is what your audience is looking for and is interested in before you invest in that. Because I think sometimes too, creativity can be sort of a smokescreen for let's spend a whole bunch of money without worrying about your return because you know we won an award and it was super creative and we got a bunch of blog posts talking about us, but we didn't necessarily make any more money. And I think that's where creativity can be really dangerous. But if you if things are firing on all cylinders and you're doing a really great job and you're thinking what's next, then yeah, absolutely, that's that's where you need to go. Um, and I think that that that's an important thing to think about is where you are in terms of your own marketing journey for yourself as an organization um, and and how good you're doing. Yeah, that's so, so true. So uh, what do you think about video marketing? We see a lot of uh, content coming around that wants uh, everybody to become video producers, more or less. <laughs> what do you think about that? Will we see that continue in 2020? Yeah, honestly, I think people love video. I actually hate video, <laughs> but I think that I am unusual because I hate video. I mean, I record Whiteboard Fridays on Moz. They're very popular. People really like them. Um, talks are recorded and everything else. I think that video too doesn't have to be as complex as people make it out to be. Yeah, you do have to prep. You can't just sit in front of a camera and ramble for five minutes. Um, but I think with some preparation time and practice, lots and lots of practice, you can get comfortable with making videos and they don't have to be expensive. Uh, sometimes people prefer watching a video instead of reading. And again, you know, giving people both options can be a good way to do that. So for example, thinking about Moz and their Whiteboard Fridays, that they do, they always have a transcript. I read the transcript, other people watch the video. And I think if you give people options, I think that the people really respect that. Um, and that's that's what they want. And podcasts as well. I mean, we're on a podcast right now. Um, podcasts are also quite popular because people can engage with them while they're driving, commuting, when they're on a flight, you know, different things that they're doing uh, in their day that don't require them to visually look at something. And I think that's something to think about as well is, uh, how those types of avenues can be really popular for people to engage and get to know you and and understand your expertise and, and then want to contact you, you know, and, and again, like a podcast is a really nice passive way for someone to get to know you as an organization before they go ahead and, and purchase your product. But at the same time, you know, you have to make sure that the podcast is actually giving something to people and isn't just uh, infomercial because you know, we're past that now too. Yeah. Yeah, so so let's start uh, practicing video takes then. <laughs> yeah, and I think for honestly, practice practice makes perfect when it comes to this stuff. It's uh, for me. So, in addition to um, uh, Kickpoint, I actually do a weekly technology column on uh, CBC, which is the um, broadcaster here in Canada, the public broadcaster here in Canada, mm -hmm. and I've been doing that now for eight years. And so five minutes on the radio every week for eight years makes you a really good, succinct speaker. I certainly say a lot less ums and ahs and other sorts of 
nothing words than I used to. So I think that that's where you just need to get that practice in. And while it's horrible, listen to yourself and watch yourself and learn. And nothing is more uncomfortable. I hate it when I get a video after a conference, like, oh, I have to watch this and watch myself and think, oh, all these things that I said were super awkward. But it's an important way to learn. And so if you do want to become a good speaker and get comfortable on a podcast, on a video, you have to watch yourself. You have to listen to yourself, take notes, and practice, 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 and improve. I agree. And uh, I think a lot of people will start practicing this year in order to get better and get good at it. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and maybe this year is the year we also see TikTok becoming big in, in uh, also Corporate yeah, I am not the person to talk about TikTok, that's for sure. I feel like <laughs> I didn't even get on Snapchat. I'm now two social networks behind. <laughs> Someone more uh, into TikTok than me will have to comment on that from a B2B perspective. All I know is I see a lot of funny TikToks on Twitter, but that's basically my engagement with the platform. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I agree. So, well, thank you so much, Dana. You have uh, given us so many insights in trends and uh, good uh, ideas for this year to come. Uh, we talked about uh, answering boxes and uh, video and social media platforms and Google advertising and analytics and so on. But if you just want to summarize one takeaway here that you would send a B2B digital marketeer with them for this year, what would that be? Um, you may not need to make anything new in order to do great stuff. You may already have the raw materials out there that you've published previously. Go back and look at that first. Make sure you've got those fundamentals down. That's a great closing uh, comment on this podcast for today. Thank you so much for your participation, Dana. We uh, have learned a lot and we wish you all luck with uh, all your speaker assignments and with the uh, your agency in Edmonton. So Dana, I know a lot of people want to check you out online. So where can we send them? Yeah, definitely. I would say Twitter is probably the social network that I pay the most attention to. And you can find me on there at Dana DiTomaso. Um, <laughs> look up my name if you don't know how to spell it. There's a few different ways that people spell it. Uh, but definitely, I'm the only Dana DiTomaso on Twitter. So check me out there. And of course, you can always email me if you have other follow-up questions. My email is dana at kickpoint.ca. Thank you for listening to Lead Generation Strategies for B2B tech companies. Don't forget to subscribe. You will find it where podcasts live. Discover how we can help you with your lead generation activities at brightvision.com.